John chapter 10. Looking this morning at verses 11 through 15, a very, uh, I think, well-known passage, a very famous passage from John's Gospel, but one we want to give our attention to this morning. Remember, this is the holy, inspired, infallible, and arid, authoritative, God-breathed word which comes to us. Therefore, let's give it our attention this morning as we come to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Hear now the word of God. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And may the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let's go to him again in prayer. Father, we come to your word this morning. We ask that you would help us to see that word, even as we read from earlier, that it would be more precious to us and the purest of gold, and that you would teach us from your word, that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to see clearly what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying here, and we would see him as the good shepherd. Father, may you teach us from your word, may you be with me that I would rightly and faithfully handle it, and to be with your people this morning that they would take it and cherish it in their hearts and apply it and live it out, that you would be glorified in that. And I ask all of this. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. It was in January 2004. I had finished all my coursework at Erskine Seminary. I had interviewed with the Ebenezer Presbyterian Church in Blue Mountain, Mississippi. They had uh, issued a call to me to become their pastor, um, but there were still a few hoops to be to go through, to jump through before I could be ordained. There were exams to take, both written and oral exams. Uh, we were required to preach before Mississippi Valley Presbytery, even though I had preached twice before my current presbytery. And then I remember, I still remember where I was and, and what time of day it was. I received a phone call, and I picked up the phone call, and it was Charles Todd calling me. And he was telling me that I needed to be examined by the minister and his work committee, of the Presbytery, and that I would be required to preach at the spring stated meeting of Mississippi Valley Presbytery. And he said, this is the passage I want you to preach on. I am the good shepherd. The same passage we're looking at this morning. It's not the same sermon now, but the same passage we're looking at this morning. And I preached that. I delivered that sermon before the Presbytery in this very sanctuary, in this very congregation. That was the spring 2004 meeting of MVP, which was here at the Salem Presbyterian Church. And because of that, I've always been fond of this passage where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is the fourth of seven I am statements from Jesus in John's gospel. Uh, the earlier ones have been, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And earlier in this chapter, I am the door. 
But this is probably one of the best known of the I am statements of Jesus. But because of that, it's also an easy to misunderstand statement. We can misunderstand uh, what Jesus means by shepherd here. We can also simply misunderstand what he means by the word good. Um, shepherd, for example, if you never had to deal with livestock or farm animals, you might think that's an easy job. You just simply lead a sheep to pasture and uh, you sit around all day while they graze. Uh, but again, it's actually hard work and it can be very dangerous work as well. And the word good here does not mean morally good. Certainly Jesus is morally good, but that's not the word that Jesus actually uses in this passage uh, the Greek word here is kalos, which is where we get the word calligraphy from. Calligraphy literally means beautiful writing. And so when Jesus uses this word, it's along the lines of, I am the beautiful shepherd, or I am the noble shepherd, I am the excellent shepherd, or perhaps one of the best ways I, uh, I've seen it expressed, I am the worthy shepherd. And we read the, the call to worship this morning. I didn't realize that until I came here this morning, the call to worship. You are worthy, O Lord, and Jesus is the worthy shepherd. And that's what he is saying this morning. So we may want to ask the question, what makes Jesus the good shepherd? What makes him the worthy shepherd? He gives us three reasons here in our passage. And the first is that he cares for his sheep. And secondly, he knows his sheep. And thirdly, he lays down his life for his sheep. And so first, Jesus cares for his sheep. Now, Jesus gives a series of metaphors to help us to understand his great care and concern for his sheep uh, or his great heart that he has for his people. Earlier in John 10, Jesus pointed uh, to the door which the sheep must enter by to go into the sheep pen, and, and he declared himself to be that door. Now, this is an exclusive claim of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God who has come into the world. He is the Word made flesh, God made flesh, and we would readily confess that. We would rejoice in that as believers in our hearts, but these very claims of Jesus brought about violent opposition from others. Even later in this chapter, Jesus will say later, I and the Father are one. And we're told the Jews began to pick up stones to stone him because of what Jesus was saying. But Jesus is making claims that only he can make. He is the way. He is that only way of salvation. We must enter through him. We can only enter his promised salvation through him. And all who would claim to follow him must go through him. They must enter through him as the door. Now, this chapter begins with an indictment against the religious rulers of Israel, against the Pharisees who rejected Jesus and refused to follow him. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers who are like those who climb over walls to try to enter the sheep pen. But the only way is through faith in Jesus Christ. And also earlier in John 10, he points to the shepherd who goes into the sheep, who leads them, the shepherd who calls them by name, the shepherd that the sheep listen to. And now Jesus declares himself to be that shepherd, but not only that shepherd, to be the good shepherd. And he's making an Old Testament connection when he says 
these words. It's like in John 6 when he declares himself to be the bread of life. But he's pointing back to Moses. And he's pointing back to the manna which Israel ate in the wilderness. And he says, I am the bread who came down out of heaven. Or it's like during the Feast of Booze when lanterns would be lit all over Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. And Jesus uses this moment to stand before the crowds and to say, I am the light of the world. And this is Jesus' way of saying that all these things that took place in the past, they had one goal, one purpose, and that was to point to the coming of the Messiah, to point to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is telling us that he and only he is the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. Now, when I go back to Brighton this morning, we're going to sing during the service the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we're going to start the service by singing all people that on earth do dwell. Psalm 100. Those psalms talk about God being our shepherd. About we being the sheep of his fold. But these passages also tell us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is here probably pointing more directly to passages like Ezekiel 34. Uh, where it says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. So I will care for my sheep. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. And so Jesus is making these messianic claims He's making what amount to divine claims when he says this. And so for too long, what had happened among the people of Israel is there was a failure among the religious leadership. You had false shepherds who mistreated and misled the sheep who were God's people. But now the Messiah has come. Now the Son of God has come into the world. And he would be the good shepherd who would lead and tend to the sheep. And he would care for his sheep. And he would show the great heart he has for his people. Now, how does Jesus do this? How does he demonstrate his great heart for his people? Well, he does not forsake or abandon them. Jesus says the good shepherd is not like the hireling, the, the hired hand who is simply hired to do a job. Uh, the only other place in the New Testament where we see this word for hireling used is in Mark Chapter 1, verse 20, where James and John are called by Jesus. They leave behind their fishing boat. But on that fishing boat remained the hired servants, the hirelings, uh, the, the ones who had been hired to do a job. That's what a hireling is or a hired man is. He's a servant who is hired to do a job. His concern is for that job, for his wages, what he can earn. But he does not own the sheep. They do not belong to him and so he has no real interest in him. And you know this very well. There's a difference between buying something and renting something. You know in your own mind that you don't treat things that you rent the same way as if you actually bought them. Now, we try to tell our kids that there used to be this time where there were these stores you could go to. We didn't have digital downloads where you could watch things whenever you wanted them. You actually physically had to go to a store and you had to rent a video if you wanted to watch it. And they think we're crazy when we say that. And then we tell them there weren't even DVDs. It was on tapes at the time. 
And you had to rewind them before you returned them. They, they, don't, they don't know what we're talking about when we say that. Uh, before I was married, my wife uh, uh, was moving from one location to another, and she wanted uh, her furniture moved. She went out and she bought the largest U-Haul that they actually rent, even though by the time we got everything in it, it only took up about a half of the U-Haul space. But she wanted this thing backed into her narrow driveway, and we rented the material, and thankfully we bought the insurance. Because when I backed it into the driveway, I heard a big crunch, and this brick-bin mailbox had taken out the fender of the truck. But because we had the insurance, it was all well and good. We rented it, thankfully, uh, but renting is not the same thing as owning. Uh, and the, fr the first sign of danger, what these hirelings do is they abandon the sheep and they run away. And in verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. And so the hireling not only abandons the flock, but he places the flock in danger. He scatters them, and he leaves them at the mercy of wolves. He ultimately betrays the flock. The good shepherd defends the flock. He gathers the sheep instead of scattering them. And he does not abandon them to wolves. He is willing to put even his very life at risk for the sake of the sheep. And so he cares for the sheep. But secondly, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He says in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. And this is not simply mere recognition. He's not simply mentally aware of the existence of his sheep. I, I taught high school for 11 years, and one of the most difficult parts of the job is at the beginning of that year, you have a new roster of students. Now, you may know a few of these students from previous years, but by and large, you're somewhere in the neighborhood of 140, 150 names that you have to learn. And at the beginning of the year, those names are simply names on a roster. But as you go through 180 days of school, you begin to know them, and by the end of the school year, you know all of them by name. These are students, no longer just names. And the good shepherd knows his sheep personally. He knows them intimately. Later in this chapter, John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 19, the Lord uh, Paul writes this, the Lord knows those who are his. And so he is the owner of the sheep. He has a vested interest in the sheep. He calls them my own. He says they belong to me. Back in John 6, uh, in John 6, 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And he says later, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. The father gives these sheep to the son, and they are his very own. And he knows them by name, and he loves them individually. And this is rooted in the relationship of the father and son. Verse 15 even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. There is perhaps no greater comparison 
uh, he could make other than this. This serves as a picture or a pattern of this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. It's not identical. It's not identical to the relationship between the father and the son, that inner trinitarian relationship. But it points to us. It shows us the care and the concern that he has for his people. Um, the relationship between the father and the son is not simply awareness or knowledge of existence. But on the other hand, it would be no more possible that the good shepherd would forget his sheep or abandon his sheep than the father would forget or cease to love his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And this shows again the heart of Jesus for his people. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin wrote a book in 1651, and even... The nice thing about Puritan works, even the titles are convicting and or edifying just to read those. It's like reading a whole book just to read the title sometimes. This is a bit shorter, but the title of this book was The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. Meditate upon that. Think upon that this day. The heart that our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven has for his people here on earth. In that book, Goodwin says this. He says, God the Father has given Jesus Christ a special command to love sinners and has implanted a merciful, gracious disposition in his heart toward them. This is what Jesus does when he sees his people when he sees his flock, Matthew 9, 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. This is what he does for his people. He shows them mercy and compassion. He takes pity on lost sinners who hear his voice and who come to him in faith. He cleanses them. He forgives them. He washes them clean. And they are the sheep of his pasture. They belong to him. And dear friends, they will always be his. And then lastly, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So important, he says it twice in this passage in verses 11 and 15. Very much bookends of our passage. Now obviously we don't expect a hireling to go to such lengths. But to do what Jesus says here would be an extraordinary thing even for a shepherd to do. A shepherd certainly will defend his sheep. He will chase off wild animals that may harm the sheep. Some of you may remember when David goes to Saul in 1 Samuel 17 and offers to fight Goliath. And basically uh, Saul tells him he's too young or too small to do so. He says this, it says, but David said to Saul... Your servant was tending his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I attacked him and I rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, I'm told, I think by a member of your session here, now what people like to do is they, they, they have sniper rifles and, and they take out coyotes that try to, attack livestock and stuff like this. But David goes and he grabs the animal and he kills it. The man's man. Being a shepherd could be dangerous. 
The shepherd is willing to put his life at risk even for the sake of the sheep. Jesus does not merely put his life at risk, though. He lays down his life for the sheep. For Jesus, as the good shepherd, death is preferable to anything happening to his sheep, to forsaking his sheep or abandoning his sheep or wolves coming in and scattering the flock. Death is preferable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And every word of scripture is precious. Every word of scripture is important. Even the prepositions are important. The word for here means on behalf of or for the benefit of the sheep. What is being taught here is what we would call the doctrine of substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may remember under the Old Testament sacrificial system, the sheep was offered up as a substitute in place of the individual. He would come and he would bring this animal to be sacrificed to the temple, and the priest would kill it, but he would lay his hand upon it. He, it was a way of identifying with it and saying, this is what I deserve for my sin. The wages of sin, the the debt price I owe is death itself. But now a substitute has graciously been offered up in my place. In Genesis 22, with Abraham and Isaac, they were going there to Mount Moriah. The sacrifice will be offered. Remember Isaac. Isaac doesn't say a whole lot of words in scripture, by the way. But he asked his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said to him, God will provide for himself the lamb. And dear friends, God has provided for us the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the good shepherd is also the lamb of God. The one who takes away the sin of the world. The one who offers up himself in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. And again, every word of scripture is important. It is vital for us to know and to understand even the words we read of the sacrificial language of the Lord Jesus Christ. A word like ransom. And I always tell congregations wherever I preach, every Christian should have John, uh, Mark 10.45 memorized. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for the many. Or a big word like propitiation. At a previous congregation, they always laugh because I would always do hand motions when I would use the word propitiation. John 1, 4, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I would always do this when I would say the word propitiation. He is turning aside the wrath of God in our place. Jesus is enduring the penalty for sin in our place. And now we have peace with God because he has gone in our place as a propitiation for our sin. We just saw a few moments ago a baptism. And we know baptism is connected to the Old Testament rite of circumcision. But it's a difference. They're, they're both described as signs and seals of the covenant of grace. It is entrance into the covenant community of the church, but with a particularly significant difference. Now, one of the is that you can do it to girls. Uh, I have three girls, all who were baptized, and we saw the baptism of a girl today. But it 
more importantly, is a bloodless sacrifice, a bloodless sacrament, rather. And why is that? It's because the blood has already been shed. The Lord Jesus Christ has come and he has shed his blood. He has laid down his life for us. He has become that ransom price for us, the propitiation for our sins. And this is what he has done for us. This is a theme of the New Testament, something we're reminded of again and again. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of God, or curse of the law, rather, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Or one of my favorite verses, Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My question for you this morning, dear friend, is are you in Christ Jesus? Do you enjoy that promise of no condemnation in Christ Jesus? Has he indeed become that curse for you so that you do not have to bear that penalty for the curse? Is he your righteousness? Have you entered through the door of the sheep? Are you trusting not in your own hands or your own works or your own efforts, but are you looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing but Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Is he your good shepherd? Jesus will later say this in John's gospel, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Metaphors and figures of speech only go so far. He is the good shepherd, but he is more than a shepherd. He treats us as better than farm animals. He treats us as friends. And he lays down his life for his friends. The Lord Jesus Christ comes not as a political revolutionary who simply wants to fulfill an ideal or some sort of a principle or cause. D.A. Carson says this, he carries a cross, not plastic explosives or an Uzi submachine gun. He carries a cross. He has borne the cross for us. He has given up his life as a perfect substitute for our redemption. And dear friends, that's what the good shepherd does. And that's why we must hear his voice. And that's why we must follow him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, Father, may we hear his voice today. May we follow him all the days of our lives. May you impress these words of your holy word upon our hearts, that we would not forget them, that we would not abandon them or forsake them, because the good shepherd would never do that for his sheep. And Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.